tomorrow, only on Disney Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tomorrow, only on Disney+. Plus. It's the Severance Media Club podcast. I'm here, uh, Melissa, with my co-host Amanda, but we are missing very cool voice behind the microphone uh but we're here to try to talk about uh, severance episode five as we are doing our monthly uh recap and then we're adding in some like extra fun side media as we go through talking about schmigadoon amanda are you excited we're here we're free the the boss is away the cats are gonna play i don't know all that kind of stuff all that yeah we're gonna get all loose secrecy here talking about schmigadoon which is a show about two people named Josh and Melissa. My it's two, wild. <laughs> my two Severance Media Club co-hosts. Um, unfortunately, Josh is absent. I assume that he is stuck in some musical alternate reality and cannot cross the bridge back to us, Melissa, to talk about Severance Media Club this week. But luckily, we are talking about uh, a musical show. We're talking about Schmigadoon, so we have a great guest here to help us through all of the musical references that I undoubtedly missed. Um, I'm really happy that we're joined this week by Todd. Todd, welcome. Thanks. Uh, it's great to be back. I uh, haven't been on since the, I think the first like feedback uh, episode yes, that y'all yes. did. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad to talk about Severance and I'm even more glad to talk more about Schmigadoon because I love this show and I, uh, I'm always happy to get a chance for more people to test it out and see mm-hmm. and see what it is that I love about it so much. Yeah, this yeah. is fun. Like, I think Josh was a little bit surprised by the results of the poll. So just to sort of reset what we're doing here, if you're just jumping in loosey-goosey to the media club, first of all, we encourage that. That is completely allowed. Welcome. Um, and every week we, or every month rather, we pick a new piece of severance adjacent media and actually we don't pick it melissa it's our beloved listeners who pick it for us and um we in our infinite wisdom decided that the category for this month was different apple tv plus series that start with the letter s of which there are many yeah for some reason this seems to be a theme uh the silos and the severances and the servants and the snoopies mm-hmm. and you know there are many the, of them. the shining girls and yeah we yeah. we between us um you know the shrinking we have between us have yeah. podcasted about more than i can even count right now but none of those were selected by our audience and the infinite wisdom they chose schmigadoon which josh seemed sort of reluctant to watch and now here he is having bowed <laughs> out of it very suspicious Uh, i see how he is he's he's off on vacation in (laughs) maine which is you know i don't know if that's even a real state i think he's (laughs) yeah i'm sure there's a schmigadoon version of maine um but this was very very fun we'll try to draw some 
parallels between Severance and Schmigadoon, aside from just the letter that they start with and um, the uh, network that they air on. But yeah, so this was, I don't know if I would have gotten around to watching this one if it wasn't for Severance Media Club, even though I had heard really great things and was like uh, interested in this cast. Yeah, I had, I, obviously it had been on my radar because Adam and Todd were covering it. And, um, you know, I'm a big fan of your other one indescribable podcast. We've talked uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and Zoe's over there, which has been great. But it was definitely one of those that was on my radar. I didn't know when I was going to get to it. But as Todd, you were saying before we started, it's like a pretty quick binge so why don't you give us like just the elevator pitch for schmigadoon if anybody happens to be listening and they didn't actually watch it in the last month like why should people watch schmigadoon all right so the uh, basic idea schmigadoon is that keegan michael key and cecily strong play a uh, a couple josh and melissa who are a couple of doctors whose relationship is starting to go through some growing pains. And so they decide to go to a couple's wilderness retreat. And while in the woods, they stumble into the little town of Schmigadoon, where everyone acts like it's the, like they're in a 1930s musical, think Oklahoma, think showboat, think music man. And they burst in the song constantly, which Melissa is constantly thrilled about. And Josh is constantly horrified by. And they try to leave and discover that they cannot leave because a leprechaun appears and tells them they cannot leave until they find true love. And so season one is all about Josh and Melissa doing their best to try to find true love since apparently their relationship doesn't quite qualify. Um, but they eventually do realize that relationships uh, are all about working on them and not just, you know, a uh, coasting by and they rediscover their love for each other and they leave which brings us to season two where they're back in the real world and find out the real world isn't all it's cracked up to be after experiencing the joy of musicals so i decided to go back to schmigadoon but as we all know you can't return to schmigadoon instead they wind up in schmicago which is a much darker a uh, musical so basically season one is all about like the musicals of the 30s and 40s your rogers and hammerstein your music man a, a little bit of guys and dolls influenced music as well and some uh, things like that but season two is all about the 60s and 70s so it's sondheim it's candor and ebb it's fossey it's sweeney todd and chicago and cabaret and uh, this time they're stuck there until they find until they're able to make a happy ending. That's the, mm -hmm. the quest they're given for season two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so I got through all of season one and I, and I, and I think Melissa, I think you and I both got to the same place in season two. I think I got through four of the six episodes in season two. It's like, it is a really easy binge show like they're these are, they're roughly half hour episodes. I think some of them are a little bit longer. Um, it's like it's very fun and breezy six episode seasons. If you are a lover of musicals, I can imagine like I'm I'm not a super um I've seen like a handful of musicals, but I'm not a super familiar with musicals type of person. So I'm sure there's a lot of like direct references that were going over my head, but it's an extraordinarily talented cast from the comedy chops that we have with Keegan Michael Key and Cecily Strong to a lot of fantastic musical theater um, talent like Kristen Chenoweth, Alan Cumming, Ariana DeVos, um, just Jane, Jane Krakowski, like just fantastic, uh, extremely stacked cast. And I'm sure um, other musical 
theater darlings in here and like extremely well-produced musical numbers um that i i found i found that it's really delightful it's one of those things you kind of can't watch without smiling yeah it was fun i um I, of course, started listening to the podcast recaps along with I, you know, I was like, once I got through season one, I, I got to listen to the season one recap and uh, Adam and Todd do not disappoint in terms of their like breadth of, and depth of knowledge on this stuff. And so all of the references that they were catching that I didn't, especially in that first era, I, I, I'm like you, Todd, I definitely picked up more of the references in the, in the second one, because it's much more the genre that I'm more familiar with. Um but yeah, it was it was just very cool to listen to you both picking up on all of the um, homages and everything that was happening in that. And yeah, the cast is just like wildly talented. I, probably my big hot take, Josh sucks. Josh is awful. <laughs> <laughs> like he's such yeah. a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Season one, Josh is definitely, definitely a jerk. Are we, are we, are we talking about Josh Wiggler or are we talking about Josh on the show? <laughs> I am definitely talking about one of those two people okay. in particular. <laughs> Melissa, Dr. Melissa is amazing and Josh yes. sucks. That's what I heard. Exactly. What exactly. Okay. Lines drawn. But yeah, and like the whole point at the end of the first season, like mild spoiler, you know, they both come together and I'm like, I don't know. I feel like only one of you was in the wrong early on here. <laughs> like I feel like this is a very one-sided relationship going on, but maybe that's uh, I don't know. It, it it didn't seem to get the play on the podcast as much as I was expecting. I was expecting mm. more hot takes about the relationship themselves. Y'all were just very focused on like the music and you know all of the production and all of that. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I I would say in the first season, basically because we only like did like a season one recap, and I think that's totally. where the relationship was like really really uh, uh, stormy. So we like tried to cram all six episodes into into one mm -hmm. one recap. So we didn't drill down to a lot of that. I'll say that I think that both of them were had their their faults uh, in the relationship. Uh, I I definitely see that. Season one, Josh definitely sucks. Uh, but I, I think that season one, Melissa has her flaws as well. I think it kind of does a good job, I thought. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, will it be better if I call her Mel instead of Melissa? Will that no, I go by Mel. They oh, go okay. Mel, like one time in the second season. And I was like, nope, that's weirder. That makes it worse. I don't like it. <laughs> uh, I'm just, I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't here. Uh, but no, I, I think that. The, I thought the show did a good job of showing that it, she was very set in her ways and had her like pie in the sky. This is what a relationship needs to be. And if it didn't match up to that, she wasn't willing to compromise at all. Whereas his whole thing was like being shut off from his emotions and not really being willing to try things. And I think the, not the first season did a good job of getting them both out of that comfort zone. I think he was more in the wrong than she was, but I think her uh, overreacting at times to things was like a big, okay, yeah, they, they definitely need some time apart to figure out what's going on. Uh, and one of my favorite things about the second season is they're together, and so we don't necessarily have that. And so we just get to see them like playing off each other, uh, having like inside jokes, like enjoying each other. My favorite thing about the second season is that uh, Josh finally is into musicals just because it's like the 60s, 70s, kind of darker, kind of sexier musicals. The opening musical number in season two, as all these people come up in the kind of like these a, a cabaret era-esque mm -hmm. outfits and like fishnets and skyline clad everything. And they're singing, welcome to Chicago. And Josh is like grooving out to it. And Mel's like, okay, okay. I, 
rein it in there, bud. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was like some uh, of the um, the feedback I heard about Shamika Dune was like people saying, well, if you don't really if if this first season doesn't do it for you, definitely also skip ahead and check out the second season because it's playing with like such different genres. So if you're more of a Josh than a Melissa and your heart isn't with the old school musicals of the 30s and 40s and you, you like something a little bit darker and a little bit groovier, um, season two might be for you. And I definitely think that this is the kind of show that you can jump into in season two without having missed much yeah i think if you watch like an episode or two of the first season it's not uh vibing with you then you can try the second season because we had two guests on the psr recaps of it and uh, and both of the guests that we had are people who did not make it through season one neither troy nor zed made it through season one <laughs> they both i have made it all the way through season two mm-hmm. and love season two because that is more of their era of musicals it's more of my era of musicals too i mean sweeney todd is like one of my all-time favorite musicals yeah. i love and just a few like uh, it's cabaret it's chicago it's uh sweet charity there's some jesus christ superstar godspell like it's, it's hair a lot of that type of stuff in the second season so if that's more your your speed when it comes to musical stuff then that's definitely a a good starting point yeah i'll say I've, i'm always curious about people who aren't as familiar with musicals and what their take on it is and how much they enjoy it so i'm always happy to hear someone yeah. like like you amanda who aren't a huge musical buff that you are enjoying it because there are a ton of references there are references that i didn't get that i wouldn't find out about till like later i was looking stuff up for the podcast go oh i didn't catch that or catch that some things are super obvious some things are a lot more subtle i think it's one of those things that the more knowledge you have like it's like nice easter eggs i don't Mm -hmm. think it's necessarily required to enjoy yeah Yeah, I'm sure it really is rewarding for huge fans of of musicals um, because I, I you can just you can tell like I mean, it, even as somebody who's not as familiar, it reads as like a love letter to all of these great works. But I do feel like there's enough just kind of in the cultural zeitgeist that even if I haven't seen things, I could say like, oh, I bet that's Jesus Christ superstar, even though I've never seen it or that's God. Like, I feel like enough of this stuff just kind of permeates our culture that there are recognizable tropes that they're drawing on that like read as as effective like I've never seen Sweeney Todd but I know the sort of iconography of it um so there's a lot of of recognizable stuff um I was curious to hear but maybe probably both from, from both of you Melissa and Todd like what were some of the standout performances from season one and season two because I feel like there's just so many great characters and and really and really wonderful performances yeah i mean i'm i'm a big wicked girl um like kristen chenoweth has made me uh an emotional wreck on more than one occasion so uh, just like (laughs) anything that she does that patter song in in season one is just ridiculous and i remember you Mm -hmm. talking about it on the recap that it was like all one take that she got on the third try which is just mind-blowing like the just oodles of talent um and yeah I think any um any of the like more I'm thinking uh help me is it kaput in like early it's like the first episode of season one that was like also a really cool one that I was like oh this is very fun this is this is the style I'm very excited for like this season that was I think the the one that really got me uh excited for that so that those are probably like the two um that that really stand out um i 
I know Adam loved corn pudding. It's so weird to the point that it like comes back around to be like, okay, I kind of love it, but also it's so weird. I, don't I think I think that that is like one of the funniest numbers in all of season one and through season two where I saw it. Like, I think that is so funny. Like I've been like, I've made joke because my husband and I watched it together. Like we made jokes about like corn pudding multiple times since having seen it because one of the things that I thought like it's it's a it's a little bit of a trick to keep like to make sure that this stays on the parody side of musical parody because it also like some numbers just kind of feel like musical numbers and I felt like corn pudding really effectively like pushes the concept to the point of absurdity where it's clearly I'm watching a parody of a musical number and it's not like just a musical number that sort of works in its own right. So I thought the show, like there were tons one time, sometimes where my criticism of it was that it wasn't like fully parodying as much as I needed it to. And corn pudding was one of those numbers, which I just thought was like so delightfully ridiculous that you're like, this is a parody of a musical. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Melissa because I was going to bring it up because I know Adam, who will be listening to this, Adam is also traveling to his own version of Chicago right now, I think. Uh, so Adam's on the road, so he was able to be here today, but he would have been very upset if we didn't mention his favorite song from season one, Corn Pudding. Uh, I think for me, my favorite song from season one was Cross That Bridge. Um, I love that because it has very much big, like, guys and dolls sit down, you're rocking the boat. Or uh, Brotherhood of Man from How to Skate the Business Not Really Trying, that big, like, kind of almost gospel feel of it, and like the big group number. And that's like one of my favorite uh, types of song from that uh, era of musicals. So that's one that always really resonates with me. Uh, in season two, it's really hard to pick just one because I love so much of season two. Uh, but out of the stuff that you guys have seen, Talk to Daddy is one that I have listened to far more often than I probably should. A, a Talk to Daddy is a, a, a great, fun song. Really uh, good. And it's like very much uh, a direct riff on a number from the musical Sweet Charity, specifically the movie version performed by Sammy Davis Jr. I, uh, and so... Uh, and like the choreography is actually taken from other parts of Sweet Charity, but the setting is taken from a different part of Sweet Charity. So it's like all this uh, hodgepodge of a lot of stuff, but it's probably one of my favorite songs. But there's so much, uh, so much love in both seasons for me. Uh, but it's really hard for me to pick just one. I've been listening to the season two soundtrack almost nonstop. I'm sure whenever I do like the final Spotify rap, most of my top songs for the year is going to be like <laughs> sh sh uh, the Chicago stuff. Uh, but I really want to talk about performances. I really want to shout out like, first of all, Jane Krakowski. Yeah. Uh, has just like this. Um, she's barely in season one. She's in one episode of season mm -hmm. one, but she's in a few more episodes of season two. And she has this amazing number called Bells and Whistles. Yeah. That where, so good. Uh, where uh, Cinco Paul, who's the creator of the show, mm -hmm. asked her, So what skills do you have? And she told him all of her skills. And so he threw everything in there tap dancing and roller skating. And she's like, I've always wanted to learn how to do the trapeze. So she, they paid for her to go take trapeze lessons. She could do the trap. That is her. If you watch the episode, that is her on the trapeze and all the shots on the trapeze. Wow. It is Jane Krakowski. The first time I watched it, I'm like, Is that her or a stunt double? But no, it was all her. So that number is just this complete showcase of just how insanely talented uh, Jane Krakowski is. Uh, so I always want to throw that out. And also uh, Aaron Tveit, uh, who plays uh, 
Ratsky and Danny in the first season and hippie Jesus yeah. Christ superstar analog Topher in season two. He is so funny. I've seen him in a couple things. He was in uh, the Les Mis film. He was in the original production of Next to Normal, uh, like a big Broadway guy. But he just gets to be goofy in this. And he's so good at like the comedy aspects of it. Mm-hmm. But he also is so good at just embodying the spirit of the uh, genre that he's in. Like his his dance moves, his movement in season one, as they're doing those old school dance stuff, he just like feels like they plucked him out of a musical film from like the 50s of a musical from the 30s and 40s. You know, it just like felt exactly like a 40s, 50s musical and his movement and everything. He just nailed it. And I just like so impressed with him. Yeah, seeing these like Broadway veteran actors, like triple threats, like incredibly talented, um, getting to perform in something like this, it just looks like so much fun. I feel like as a television watcher who doesn't see a lot of this type of theater, it was really an amazing showcase of all the unbelievable talent. Um, and it like it and it just looks like one of those shows that must have been a blast to uh, be a part of. Although we can only assume because there's more and more of these stories of mistreated talent coming out right now. We're speaking, we're recording this on the first day of the SAG uh, Screen Actor Guild strike. Um, So we'll get a little bit to that because people had some questions about whether season two, when season two of Severance will finally be released. And the answer is not soon, (laughs) but um, yeah, but this is like, I mean, this is the, we could go on and on about how stacked and talented this cast is. Yeah. And one thing I didn't really mention in my elevator pitch uh, Mm -hmm. recap was that the big difference between uh, Schmigan and Chicago, not only is it like a change in eras, but basically almost the entire original cast of season one of Schmigadoon townsfolk appear as Chicago city folk, but they're completely different characters. They have different names and different personalities. You get to see all these people kind of go from one one end of the spectrum to another in a lot of cases. It's like they're, uh, they, they even make a joke uh, because uh, Josh, who's not a theater person, is like trying to talk to this guy like he's the mayor. And mm-hmm. Melissa's response is like, would you wave hi to to Sutton Foster in the music yeah. just because you knew her from Thoroughly Modern Music Millie and Josh's <laughs> like I guess not uh but so you get to see all of them kind of like put on different hats and so some people who are like super uh you know prominent in season one aren't as prominent in season two and vice versa Dove Cameron had like a very small part in season one is a pretty big part of season two same thing with uh, Aaron DeVate Whereas Ariane Dubois, uh, she, you know, it was a big part of season one and she's mm-hmm. unfortunately barely in season two. I think mm-hmm. she's in two episodes. Uh, they also had some people who didn't make it back, but you, it's, like they're basically the same people in different roles completely, uh, like, like in the musical, but also it's this weird reality. So it's like they have no memory of who they were in the other place. Is it really them or some twins is this their severed cells when yes. they move from one town to another oh, yeah. are they suddenly you know this is the the severed chicago version versus the severed there's, uh, yes there's our tie-in yeah so we we what we do is we torture ourselves to come up with connections between whatever we have watched <laughs> and severance and we did watch severance episode five to uh prepare for this podcast so we'll talk a little bit about our uh, impressions of episode 
five on this go around, but we did get a great audience question this week. If Severance and Schmigadoon exist in the same universe, what does the crossover episode look like? So a musical episode of Severance. What do we think? Yeah, it was so funny because I was watching Schmigadoon, not expecting it to have anything to do with Severance, right? Other than the fact that they both start with the letter S. And then I was watching it and I was like, actually, there is sort of an idea like that loosely ties these two together in terms of as opposed to like people within the same universe being split into it's that like the one people in order to like escape the realities of their Audi lives they're going to Schmigadoon Uh right or they're going to they seek out Schmigadoon in the second season basically because they're like well we're not happy we're gonna go like try to find that again that's uh and so I was like oh wow they're like basically severing themselves without like missing out on the memories and and I do think that there is sort of enough um there there's kind of there's more meat there in terms of this difference with both Josh and Melissa and how they're approaching it but then also all of the cast that are kind of in this world that have these kind of two severed versions of themselves which I think is interesting so I don't know Todd do you have like initial thoughts on the Schmigadoon version of Severance or the Severance version of Schmigadoon oh man um I'm just uh thinking about all the Schmidonians like in like the little dance party mode. And I just like, I would love to <laughs> the see music that. dance would, experience is like yeah, way would, better. Yeah. Yes. I would love to see the Schmigadoon Chicago music dance experience. I think wow. that would be uh, something to behold. Um, yeah. It's, it's just hard to wrap my head around the two, like being combined <laughs> because they are very, very different in like, almost every way tone everything they are both very heightened realities and very different realities but in completely other ways even though chicago is supposed to be much darker it's nowhere near as dark as severance world yeah probably not as dark as severance although maybe like you know in this episode in the grim barbarity of optics and design we do have um Mark and Helly taking a walk down the hallway. And I wouldn't be surprised if like in one of those rooms, like, you know, maybe a few doors down from the baby goats, like there's like the whole cast of Chicago doing a musical number. We're like, we don't know what's going on at Lubin. It's a big confusing place. That's very what? true. Uh, I, I can see the goats. <laughs> I can see the goats popping up in Chicago. I can mm. see, you know, you know, so I can definitely see there's, there's no telling what, uh, what Kier has going on. Uh, in mm-hmm. this which musical do we think has the most severance vibes like if you were just going to say okay we're not doing a whole era we're just doing like one musical in the severance universe because i think that that works better than like trying to fit a severance idea into schmigadoon like i think it's too much its own thing but i think like could you add some musical numbers to severance what style might they be or you know i i think that you could have the like severed innies uh breaking out into song occasionally but i don't know what like how that works tonally yeah i mean i'm getting i'm getting weird flashes of like the so the show riverdale kind of did that where like every season they would have like the, the school put on the musical but then the people would just randomly break into song and their regular lives and not just in the musical and they try to shoehorn the stuff in like the uh, some of them worked much better than others. Uh, let's just say that. Uh, so I'm just trying, trying to think like what could uh, really work well in the severance world. And man, 
yeah. Uh, I yeah. should have come prepared better for this. <laughs> uh, for this random question, I threw. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do think <laughs> that the Severance cast would be tremendous in a musical. Like, I, yeah. I would love to see yeah. like Adam Scott and John Turturro and Christopher Walken and Zach Cherry break into song. That would be that would delight me to no end. Yeah, we know Milchek can dance, so like, oh, yeah, incredible. Yes, yes, yeah. it would be incredible. Yeah, um, there's so many shows that do that, like one musical episode, yeah. right? Like, you know, we've got the Buffy of it all. Like, I think mm -hmm. that there's, I think that a musical episode of Severance is probably not what I actually want, but if they decided to do it, I think I, I could, I could get there. I could, I could get on board <laughs> with it. Yeah, I. I'm I'm generally like open to musical episodes, but then you get like that, you know, like the Grey's Anatomy musical episode where we just go, no, no, why? Why do we do this? And so <laughs> I I would I would have faith that the Severance people, if they did decide to go that way, that they would be able to do it well, because the show has like, you know, just been so well done so far. But there is always that fear of like, oh, is this is this gonna be our jump the shark moment? Is this is this gonna do it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I'm okay if we don't do it. But you know, maybe there is some so I could okay. I've got it. I figured it out. Ooh, it's 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 MDR versus O and D West Side Story. West Side style. Story. Oh. story. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I I think I think we did it. I think I think it writes itself. Yes, <laughs> yes, um, yes. We the the MDR massacre, the grim barbarity of optics and design. We already. I mean, we it, yeah. It's it's all there. We already have the the rivalry, the mythology around it. Um, I think that I would mean, be fantastic. Yeah. I could see like a, a, a fun song where you have them singing about their pouch people, you know, just like all about the mythology that they <laughs> the have. Marvel like... We have our star-crossed lovers. Exactly. That's Irving. what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, uh, that's, that's great stuff, Melissa. Yeah. Now I just want to see the two of them singing tonight to each other. That's all the, you know. Right? Tonight, tonight. Yes. Yes. Uh, Adam uh, likes to accuse me of hating love, and I need to have Adam listen to any severance podcast that I've been on, <laughs> where we have talked so much about our love for Bert and Irving. Love and story for the so ages, yes. That, yeah, I, I think that I'm going to throw this one in his face the next time he has yeah. to tell me that I hate love. Yeah, there are um, multiple um, music and dance scenes in Severance, none of which we've gotten to yet in our rewatch here in episode five. But um, we do have, of course, the music dance experience, which has been much talked about. But also the Waffle Party has a bit of a dance number, does it not? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, I had purposefully forgot about the Waffle Party. <laughs> Yeah, it does. Um, and then, okay, so it, what musical might be most <laughs> akin to uh, The Waffle Party? This might be, not be a musical that I've... Mm -hmm. uh, well, I'm thinking, like, isn't Spring Awakening supposed to be pretty scandalous? Yeah, Spring Awakening is definitely supposed to be pretty scandalous, like an old Calcutta type thing, you know. So there are definitely some musicals that came out that were very much pushing the, you know, pushing the boundaries on that type of thing. I mean, I mean, hair has like the whole like nude, nude thing, mm -hmm. but I don't think that's really uh, the love in and all of that, but it's mm -hmm. much not quite as graphic as the, <laughs> doesn't push us quite as far as the Waffle Party uh, does. Yeah, the Waffle Party is also just very, I think, 
it's it's what we don't see as a part of the waffle party yeah. that has really kind of <laughs> yeah. tantalized all of us and made us mm-hmm. very like horrified and intrigued at the same mm-hmm. time so yeah that is fair this has been a more um um, a more successful uh, conversation around yeah. plans that I oh. think I was expecting when we started talking about this. No, we can we we can spin gold, Melissa, out of anything <laughs> here. Um, do we have more to say about Schmigadoon? Um, or do we want to shift a little bit more into our discussion of Severance Episode Five, the Grim Bar- Barbarity of Optics and Design? Yeah, let's go for it. I think that we'll you know continue to keep Schmigadoon if you want to sing any of your thoughts Todd please don't, don't hold back that's a dangerous dangerous uh, <laughs> offer there um, dangerous for the listeners you'll have to listen mm-hmm. to me sing <laughs> I, Todd uh, as someone who's heard you sing a whole musical uh, <laughs> I beg to differ if anyone doesn't know, uh, the great Adam and Todd, uh, in addition to podcasting about Tringadoon, also wrote multiple D&D musicals, um, and they oh are my. incredible. Uh, Todd is quite the lyricist, uh, and then Adam is very kind of musically talented on top of that. So the, the two together have created a lot of gold that we've enjoyed over in the D&D corner of the Discord over the years. That's amazing. That's amazing. So lot, So you're bringing lots of expertise here to this discussion today, Todd. Um, excellent. So yeah, so let's, um, so it's been really, I've been finding it really interesting to revisit these episodes, like in this month, one one episode a month cadence, which is like not how I've ever watched any other show. Um, but, (laughs) um, you know, all of these months later while we're waiting in this long off season, um, for like just kind of the quick, um, the Quick recap, this is the episode that immediately follows Helly's uh, attempt to uh, end her life and her Audi's life, um, which was in- it gets intercepted by Mr. Grainer. And, um, and then in this episode, we have um, Mark is... Audi Mark is going to be mostly preoccupied with attending his sister's uh, labor and delivery at a special birthing cabin where we are introduced to um, the richest lady in the most psychotically expensive birthing cabin for the first time. Um, and in, so this is the episode that um, that during which we uh, get Devin's uh delivery here lots of great rickon stuff lots of more you the you you are passages and meanwhile the innies are going on their own little adventures trying to get outside of the watchful eye of miss casey who's been assigned to essentially babysit heli but mark and heli are going to go out exploring while irving is going to go on his own mission to find love to see his beloved Bert. Um, and he has a babysitter of his own because Dylan does not trust optics and design as far as he can throw them. We see the two versions of the painting that shows a massacre, a great um, love with one department rating another. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, the more, more momentum here for all of the innies kind of going on their own rebellious journeys to try to discover what's actually going on. It's a funny episode because I think there's, there's so much 
incredible gold in this episode. Like this is the episode that gives us the kelp. It gives yes. us all of the UUR quotes. Um, it, it we talk about uh, larva in in pouches, like so many good things. And yet there's not a lot of like forward plot. Baby goats. Baby yeah. goats. Baby, so many, two words, so many baby goats. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there's like, this was a big episode in terms of like setting up mysteries uh, mm. and not so much like answering any questions or moving plot forward very much. It was just a lot of like, um, here, here's who is this woman? What's her deal? Who are these mm-hmm. people? What are they up to at work all day? Why is Miss Casey so weird? What's going on with Irving and the black? paint stuff like yeah yeah and there were just so many questions that we were like there's so much going on we are five episodes into this season and not getting any answers we are only getting more questions all the time yeah at the end of this episode we're a little more than halfway I've also been trying to listen to our podcast Melissa to sort of reorient myself to what we were thinking at the time and you said almost exactly the same thing You're like, I, there's more questions than answers. We're still revealing mysteries in episode five. And I'm going to need the show to start giving me some answers or else I'm going to be disappointed. So you are, very true to, you are very true to yourself here in having that comment. But yeah, like, I think that this is a little bit of like the, and this is exactly what you said, Melissa. So I'm going to quote you. This felt at the time, and I think that the subsequent episodes bear it out, like you're on the roller coaster and you're just inching, inching, inching to the very, very top before you're about to um, go over that peak and 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 start the real, the real descent, the real thrilling ride. Um, I think that that's sort of how it bears out in the rest of the season, if I remember where we're going. Um, what are your thoughts, Todd? Yeah, I think that's a uh, very, very accurate. Uh, as I watched the episode, like, wow, I forgot all this stuff happened in right? this episode. There's just so much. I think like the the most maybe forward momentum, even not that much forward momentum, but just the fact that a uh, any mark a uh, was like kind of starting to move forward with his creating the map and bringing yeah. Ellie in, and then Addy Mark is like talking to his sister about having suspicions, and so there's like a couple of things just like inching for, but other than that, it is like so much questions. What's with the goats? What's with the multiple paintings? Mm-hmm. What's with a uh, all all of this stuff? Uh, What's Miss Cobell up to? You know, <laughs> yeah. she's yeah. There was a line actually that I went back and highlighted after watching. Uh, this again, but um, because I still don't think I understand it. Speaking of the mystery, so I what the the baby goats. I think we came in as a headline when we uh, originally recapped this, and I think it's because it's one of the final scenes, and it's a very WTF scene. Like you're just like, wait, this show was already weird, and now there's a man nursing baby goats in an office building. Um, so that obviously we still don't really know what's up with the baby goats, although we do, we do know that it's actually clones. Um, but the, 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 the line that stuck out to me that I think we still have quite a bit of mystery about is, um, Milchak asks why Casey is observing Helly and Cobell replies, the light of discovery shines truer upon a virgin meadow than upon a beaten path. I'm trying something new with Miss Casey. Keep it between us. And now we know, like at the time, we did not know. I think there were some murmurings 
on Reddit that maybe Miss Casey was Gemma. And I think those people were spoiled. I don't believe them that they could have known at this point. But some people started to have the Miss Casey is Gemma theory at some point. I think we really did not have it on our radar when we originally watched episode five. Now we know that. Um, We also know that Miss Casey comes from like, you know, is maybe one of those people who never leaves. This virgin meadow, I think, means that she probably has even less of like that consciousness and memory than the innies do that she is somehow um, in some ways more of a blank slate, a tabula rasa than even, Mm -hmm. you know, Mark and Helly are. So um, obviously we know that Miss Casey was trying to probe whether there were these persistent memories, right? Like that's part of what she's, her game is with Mark and, and Miss Casey interacting. Um, but I thought this was really interesting and it made me kind of realize how much about the Miss Casey slash Gemma thing we still don't understand. Yeah. I think there's so much in this episode that we don't get. Like, why are there two versions of this picture? What is mm-hmm. O&D actually up to? Obviously, the baby goats of it all. Mm-hmm. Did the kelp help or not? <laughs> um, I But I was thinking, it's really interesting. So Dune being a a show because I remember uh, you all talked about it early on in your season two coverage Todd of um, how quickly the plot was moving in the second season compared to the first that you were sort of you know like big spoilers for season two of uh, Chicago but uh, that Josh had been broken out of jail and the trial had been over like in the first half of the season that you would thought that that would be a longer season thing and how much quicker the pace felt in season two than season one and I'm curious if that's just sort of a similar thing in terms of like there's so much that you have to set up in a story for a new story like this where it's like okay who are these people what are the rules of the world that we're in um you know what is the main uh what are our plot points what are our mysteries everything that is being set up and so it's interesting here that like five episodes in we're still setting up so many of those mysteries and we're going to get some answers by the end of season one but certainly not all of them and so then for a season two of severance if we speculate forward a little bit I'm, I'm curious how much faster we can move now that we don't have to reset all of that up again I do think that um, maybe we'll see sort of a parallel there that might be really helpful that's an interesting thought uh hadn't really considered that I guess it's Part of it will depend on how much of a plan they have for severance and like if they have like a, yep. you know, like a, like a, a three-year plan or for, you know, something like that, or if they're just like, you know, kind of like feeling out as they go along, because if they have like an overarching plan that I can mm-hmm. see, okay, we're going to set act one, act two, act three, and they can start trying to push things forward, but they are just more of a, you know, lost type show where they're kind of like making up as they go along to a certain degree, then there's no telling if they're going to be able to really move the ball forward a whole lot. Hopefully they will. Hopefully it's a show. I feel that I, I feel pretty good that severance knows what they're doing in terms. Of, I think they, yeah. I think they have like an over an, an underlying uh, foundation of this is what this all means. I don't think they're throwing things out there just to throw them out there. I think that anything they're throwing out there, I have faith that there is like in their heads, they have the answer Whether the answer stays the same by the time they get to revealing it, you know, who knows things can yeah. shift, but I do feel 
uh, I feel fairly confident that this is a show where they're not just throwing things out, goats out there to be, ooh, or multiple pictures, <laughs> ooh. I, I think mm-hmm. that's part of it. I think doing it is part of it, but I do personally feel like it's all in aid of this grander vision that they have, or at least I'm hopeful. That yeah, yeah. Vision. At least uh, as of the end of season one, Dan Erickson did an AMA at that point, and I can't pull up um, I can't act, like find my notes on that right now, but I believe he said that in his mind, there was something like a four season arc and a five season arc or a four season. I think, arc I think it was seven, three and five. Three or and five. Yes, yeah. There were we two, talked about that. There were two prime numbers um, that he <laughs> threw out that, um, that there was that, that there was some plan for where things were going and that a lot of these mysteries and questions actually did have destinations that they we're shooting towards now. I know that there has been some tumult in the show leadership and some things got rewritten in the development of season two. And as we all remember, season two filming stopped in April due to some disagreements between um, Dan Erickson and the other showrunner whose name is escaping me right now. And they brought in Bo Willimon, who uh, was also, uh, you know, one of the showrunners for House of Cards on Netflix. And he was coming in to help shepherd season two. And the plan was for season three along. Now, that production stopped in April. The writer's strike started in May. The actor's strike started on July 13th. So there's a lot of uncertainty in the in in Hollywood and television production in general right now. And it's certainly affecting Severance as well as many other shows. Even um, House of the Dragon, which had persisted in production during the writer's strike is now shut down because of the Screen Actors Guild strike. So a lot of things can happen. Um, You know, we know that strikes affect creative decisions. Um, We can thank Jesse Pinkman's persistence beyond season one of Breaking Bad to a writer's strike when they decided to keep him around. So even though people stop writing and production stops, people continue to have ideas. Things happen in the world that change the directions that things go. Um, So that may very well happen with Severance, but um, they certainly gave themselves a lot of work in terms of setting up mysteries that I think, you know, if we're, if it's going to end in a satisfying way, they're going to have to resolve some of these things. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't get answers to like every single thing that we have speculated about mm-hmm. over the course of the many hours we've spent talking about this show. And I think that that's okay. And I think that we should probably prepare ourselves for that a little bit because I think it will make our our consumption of the show and enjoyment of it that much better but I I I agree that I think that there is some plan and I don't I don't think that they've just thrown goats out there to be like we'll figure it out we'll see we'll take the best fan theory off the internet and like make Mm -hmm. that the the plot which is uh definitely not something I do as a dm running dnd all the time (laughs) um I've just wait for your players to come up with like a good answer to the puzzle and be like, yep, that's it. That's, that's the answer I had planned all along. Uh, but I don't think they're going to do that. This is, you know, a much more important show than uh, mm-hmm. some random D and D thing. So, but it's interesting to, yeah, sort of be at this point of one season in, I think that where we are going to be after a second season of severance 
you know, looking down the barrel of hopefully a third, we will just have, you know, it, it's very obvious to say we will have twice as much information as we have now. And I think that that will just be really helpful. And so right now we just really don't know. And I think that it's something where it's, you know, this show has given us so much fodder to speculate about. I think that the fact that we are still here, uh, you know, like a year and a half later <laughs> at this point, still talking about this show is proof of that. And so I'm, I have no doubt that like Dan Erickson's mind is still going right now thinking mm -hmm. about this show and, and thinking about how he wants to do it. And, you know, I think that he, uh, and everybody involved in this show like deserve to get paid for an, the amount of thought that goes into this yeah. show. So it'll, it'll come when it comes. And in the meantime, mm -hmm. uh, we will talk about it and think about it and wonder. And I, it, it's one of those things where I think until proven otherwise, we just have to assume that all of that thinking on our part isn't going to waste that we are not yes. putting more thought into this show than the creators of it are. And at this point, nothing, from the interviews that we've seen and, and from the the extra material that's been put out there and the speculation on their part and the engagement with the cast and crew it, online, like none of that to me has read, oh, this is a show that people kind of go to and leave and don't really put that much thought into. Like, that's just not the vibe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree with all of that. Um, you know, another thing that really struck me on this rewatch is, um, you know, we've always been, we're always famously tickled by every passage in the UUR. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. We, we are richly treated with a lot of UUR passages in this episode. Um, and you know, they, this is like, it's just so I can't help but think about like the um, the labor rights moment that we're in and how this show is about the value of labor and the abuses of labor really fundamentally. Yep. It's like incredibly prescient and of the moment and and poignant in 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 revisiting it, um, given that the very people who created the show are currently on strike to be fairly treated. And, um, you know, the fact that I've mentioned this before, that Adam Scott has kind of become the avatar of the working man and that like this, the text of the UUR and, and Rickon's words are like very much these like salvos of, um, you know, like the, of, of, of pro labor that caused this kind of philosophical awakening in, in Mark. It's really, it's really, really delightful and funny and poignant all at the same time. Yeah. It's been really funny. There's a, there's a local um, port strike going on. And so the, the striking workers um, are kind of have all their chairs set up on the, the sidewalk across from the building where my work office is. And so I sort of like uh, see them every day as I'm going into work and that kind of juxtaposition. I'm like, I, I I'm going to go like, slave to the man for seven and a half hours but like yeah fight the power I don't know. it's just always been a very funny dynamic for the past couple of weeks yeah it's interesting but like like helly as a character who is basically a slave to this corporation she has like no ability to fight she can't do anything to improve her rights improve her stance uh because her outer person who is basically like her management is like, nope, nope, we're just going to let you like stew away in there. That's fine. You know, like the, you know, recently the 
kind of leaked out that the the studios, executives, that their plan is just to try to basically starve the strikers out. They, they keep mm -hmm. it going until they can't do anything. And that's kind of like what's happening to hell. Like, oh yeah, no, you can't do anything. You just have to, you know, and we'll wait you out because you have no power to change anything. And I, I think that that is something that's definitely a parallel to, to what's going on mm -hmm. right now. Like the, the people outside just don't care. This, this person was suicidal. And the people outside, like, yeah, we don't care. You're in there to do the job, so you do it, and you can threaten all you want, but it doesn't, you know, we have our bottom line, and that's all that we care about. And a society with festering workers cannot flourish, just like a man with rotting toes cannot skip. Preach, yeah. <laughs> really. really. And now, right now, said. yeah, and right now, you know, we have a uh, our workers trying to break the world of film and streaming. Yes. Like they're not trying to break the world of literature, but they're trying to break yeah, the world yeah. of streaming okay. uh, to try and get their own due. So, I mean, yeah, Rick and Rick and very prophetic. You know, the the great prophet Rickon is like leading the way for the strikes of today. And Rickon also anticipated this battle with AI when he said, what separates man from machine is that machines cannot think for themselves. Also, they are made of metal and man is made of skin. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, I, I love that. I was... Um... I was recently, I'm very behind on other podcasts, but I was recently listening to Jess and Marissa talk about how um, AI doesn't have a trauma history that they can pull from in order to write great stuff. And um, yeah, AI has never been like oppressed in a job. It's, you know, there's so much stuff that you can't pull on to make these like incredible shows. So um, it's, you know, it's not nearly the same. It's not nearly as good. No. Um, I have a... I have a very tangent question for you submitted by one of our listeners that um, Todd, I'm not sure if you're aware on a previous episode of the severance media club, I was uh, instructed as to the contents of disco fries. Ah, uh, yes, I did hear that one. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, somebody wrote in, what would you use as toppings for disco fries? So like if you could, uh, I think, the no, no, Melissa, for Discord fries. Oh, Discord Dropping fries. Huh, I can read. Discord it's fine. Discord fries. Nice. Okay. So I I would like to discuss Discord fries, but I would also like to discuss how awful would the combo of corn pudding and Disco <laughs> fries be? Oh, man. Uh, what's funny is I actually watched a show that mentioned disco fries after i listened to that podcast i was re-watching uh the the animated series the venture brothers because they're doing coming a movie coming out next week so i rewatched the whole series and one episode they, they mentioned disc they're at a diner they're like, what are disco fries like i can't believe i'm hearing a disco fries reference uh but yeah i've never had corn pudding so i can't say for sure but i cannot imagine that corn pudding plus disco fries would be a good thing i i bet you can get that at some diner somewhere like, I imagine that. Like, I think that there's some road stop somewhere in, uh, probably not in Canada, but definitely in the U.S., Melissa, where like, somebody's, like, serving a pile of corn pudding on you know, on fries. And instead of it's, instead of the gravy, it's the corn pudding. I could see that yeah. being, like, a state fair somewhere. I could definitely yeah, see that being yeah, some yeah. sort of state fair food. Yeah. Considering our love of the corn emoji in the PSR Discord, I do think that corn pudding as a topping for Discord fries does kind of make sense, actually. <laughs> uh, 
uh, I think the true answer to that question is like tater tots because tater tots <laughs> on discord fries does also seem like a PSR wow. discord uh, battle waiting to happen. Mm -hmm. I, I was about to say, if you want the, the tater tot wars to resume, then uh, yeah, saying discord fries or tater tots is definitely the way to go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of like the other, gosh, there any of the other, um, emojis that we use in the discord are just not uh appropriate for kind of sharing <laughs> to the general public uh in terms of the um the uh chicago fire fire truck on top of wanda shark is like the first one i'm thinking of as just some truly ridiculous stuff so you know uh patreon.com recaps if you want to see some of the abominations that we yeah, get some get some more appetizing post. emojis in the mix we need we need some help <laughs> Yeah, not the uh, the turtle face from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's what I was thinking. The the turn the turtle face from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that I would probably use to react to this conversation. Yeah. As it's very much of like what is going on type of reaction emoji, or the the uh, the Emily worried of a uh, oh. Emily Fox hands mm. on her head in horror uh, reaction, which I I frequently try to use at work and realize I can't react to things in my teens channel. Right. With that uh, emoji, and I'm forever sad because it's like one of my most used emojis. It should be, it should be universal. It really should be. Yeah, that was Emily's reaction when I made her answer the question of if tater tots are fries. <laughs> Excellent. Oh man. Um. So this has been awesome. I think that we found more uh, connections than we want. I sort of want. Uh, the West Side Story parody of Severance now. Yeah, uh, yeah. I like. I, I. I think it's good. I think it's there. Um, but yeah, is there any like kind of big Severance thoughts, Todd, that you wanted to kind of go as we're like wrapping up here? We didn't. We talked to you. You were our very first guest on. The you Severance were. Podcast, I know. It was. Awesome. It was Todd who first alerted us that um, the opening credits are very very trippy and they remain very trippy um i think yeah. honestly watching this once a month i i'm continually surprised by the opening credits they're always like <laughs> they're a little bit longer a little bit like you don't become inured to it when you're watching it like week to week so i've been i've been delighted by that opening credit sequence um great music and uh like great theme music and severance as well um yeah. Any other thoughts about episode five or severance in general? We do have some more business to get to today as we talk about where we're going next and what our next poll is going to be. So I think my thoughts on episode five, as I was rewatching it to, to do this, was just, I think this may be the episode that fully cemented my, I think I love the show from the get go. I think this episode with this, the amount of weirdness in it, because I'm a big fan of weird things. I love mm -hmm. weird movies. I'm a big horror movie guy as well. So the horrific paintings that they were using and then the, the mythology that the different departments had come up with and what the other people were doing, the fact that they were like basically alien creatures and things like that, and that they had developed this mythology about everything was just stuff that really, really appealed to me and like really cemented my love for this show that I already was enjoying. But I think this was the episode that kind of maybe pushed it over into full blown. This is like one of my top shows. Uh, so 
yeah, I think this was a, I'm super happy I got on this one, plus all the Rick and quotes. I was so happy Amazing. when I started watching and we got like the barrage of Rick and quotes because I remember the first time I watched it and just like being flabbergasted in the best way uh, to hear all of Rick and's thoughts. So I'm so happy that this was the episode that I got to be on for uh, because it just had lots of really bizarre, weirdo, horror tinge stuff mm -hmm. that is just my bread and butter. So uh, I don't know if I have like, I because I haven't, been watching along with the media club and so i don't have like any big overarching severance thoughts other than i love the show and i'm excited for it to come back whenever it may come back however long that takes mm. well we are so glad to have had you on here todd as like an early adopter who is watching severance with us for minute one also the perfect guest to talk about schmigadoon the, the will of the listeners that's what they wanted us to talk about and we found the perfect guest to usher us through all of that, um, fantastic to have you on. And we did have a poll for uh, our listeners to, again, in their infinite wisdom, suggest <laughs> a piece of media for us to discuss in the month of August. And now I was super, super excited, Melissa, about this poll. Like what we gave, the options we gave our listeners this time around was Pick a member of the Severance cast. Pick any. We gave the options. Um, we had uh, John Turturro, Britt Lauer, Adam Scott, Christopher Walken. I think we also included Ben Stiller, Patricia Arquette, Zach Cherry. So many fantastic, fantastic performers in here. Pick one of them and we will pick the piece of media by that cast member or crew member to do a deep dive into so i was excited because maybe we would get one of the great character actors of our time like john turturro or christopher walken who have incredibly deep catalogs to explore dozens and dozens of movies uh oscar nominated award winners both um we're not yeah, gonna watch maybe, maybe we would have got that <laughs> no we're not gonna watch well, we're not gonna watch any of that any of those great films we're not gonna watch any of the coen brothers work we're not gonna watch any of the great christopher walken films um christopher walken only 5.9 percent coming in fourth john Turturro, 11.8 percent second place but we're not yeah. going to we're not going to be watching that i also thought hey oh my god maybe i'll get to watch and talk about adam scott who yeah. is fantastic. I just finished covering Party Down, of course, Parks and Rec, lots of films, another great character, actor, a deep catalog. Uh, he was in Loot, which I covered. I've been really enjoying Adam Scott. No, we're not going to talk about Adam Scott. 5.9% fourth place. Ben Stiller is a great director, a great actor and performer. Um, we also talked about Walter Mitty, which was directed by Ben Stiller, starring Adam Scott, uh, really seems relevant to Severance. Uh, he's not even on this list. I got the yeah. results from, from Josh. Ben Stiller didn't even, didn't even clock at all on here. Uh, no blips here. We're not going to talk about him. Um, should I just tell it, tell our listeners, Melissa, who who they selected? They already know. You picked yeah, him. They you know. know. It's the one you all voted for. <laughs> We're talking about Zach Cherry. I'm so excited. <laughs> the great Dylan S. Ja Zach Cherry, who 
I'm going to open up his IMDb right now. We love Dylan, I think, was like character was he was he was comedic character of the year, character of the year in the patron, um, the patron end of the year review. So uh, very beloved, very beloved by our patrons. And um, of course, he is because he's phenomenal now. So I don't have any issue with 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 Zach Cherry as an actor, but if you look at his IMDb, <laughs> it's not very popular. It's a little bit. It's a little bit thin. So okay, he was in nine episodes of Severance. I love that show. That's great. I would love. Yeah, yeah, okay, wait, yeah. wait. wait no. We're <laughs> already watching that. We should watch that. Um, and then he's uh. And Bloodweed, which is a podcast series. Okay. Um, he is a voice of an animated character in Duncanville. Um, he's in two yeah. he's episodes. In 35 episodes of that. He's though, in 35 so, episodes know. of this animated series. Let's click on Duncanville. Duncanville. Oh, it stars Amy Poehler and it's on Hulu. Okay, so that's in the running. This animated series where zach cherry does a voice um he's in one episode of last week tonight with john oliver <laughs> uh one episode of succession that hey that here that's a pretty good show so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have to we'll 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 get something together here of about zach cherry i'm really looking forward to to talking about him i've heard him on a couple of episodes of doughboys we can do a recap of the podcast doughboys um but we'll find something we'll find something and we're going to talk about zach cherry just like you all want us to do great work audience 10 out of 10 no notes um and um and we will and we will require your services once again because we have to figure out what we're going to talk about in september september it's the fall melissa people are going back to school you and i love doing that we kept on going back to yeah school. we did we that stop. for a really long time um we decided you know we're going to hit the books in September and we are going to try all of us to read a whole book, a whole, and, book. <laughs> a whole book that is uh, somehow related to severance. Um, there's a number of these lists online. Esquire published uh, this list of books, what to read if you miss severance, uh, whether you're craving workplace satires, technological horror or memory bending mysteries this is a list that includes all of these um tell me an ending by joe harkin uh vintage the meadow the memory police by yoko agawa um there's a number of books on here that look really really interesting several people are typing by calvin kasulke so um we are going to put this list up on uh another one of our google forms and have you vote um, I will come up with what, what have we been using Melissa for these links? This is a Josh thing that he usually does. Uh, we'll include the link in the show notes mm-hmm. for sure. And then uh, it has been a, it is postshowrecaps.com slash MDR, I believe is where you can okay. go to vote yes. on the list. So, you know, give us, 
give us a day to, to kind of get that up, but we'll make sure that you have access to the list and the little like synopses of all of these books. Some of them look incredible. I kind of want to read all of them, but that will not happen. Yeah. Anymore. There's, um, um, there's the yeah, vintage, the circle by Dave Eggers is on here. Like this is a, re- this seems like a really great list. I can't wait to get into um, one of these books. So we'll put this up and uh, look forward to getting your votes. Yeah. Even one of them is named uh, Severance. Uh, Ling Ma has a has a book called Severance that's an apocalyptic satire, yes. office drudgery. Uh, yeah, I think that there are wow. so many here that are going to be great. I like that one's chances. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, people will be like, that one's the same. Um, but yeah, no, there's so many of these, like, the descriptions in here have all made me intrigued by it so i'm very excited for whatever the people vote for um and yeah we'll make sure that you have access to the little description so that you can make an informed choice but we won't read you know abstracts for a bunch of books on the podcast Mm -hmm. well that's great i mean this has been a lot of fun to get back together i love kind of get together to do the severance media club it's definitely helping me cope with this long wait between seasons and I think that we can anticipate that it's going to we're going to have to keep on waiting but um it's for it's for good reason um thanks again for joining us Todd uh where can the people keep up with everything that you're doing uh thanks for having me uh you can find me on Twitter at librarian Todd because Todd librarian has too many characters uh, you can also find Adam H and I talking all about season two of Schmigadoon uh, Shmig- uh in the PSR archives uh on the Ben shows feed and you can also find Adam myself and TV Lindy every week over on one indescribable podcast where we talk about more musical TV. We're currently covering Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. We are almost done with the second season. Uh, Melissa will hopefully be on a, uh, before yeah. the season is over. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun to go through. And now we're trying to figure out what musical show we're going to cover next. But you can find out more about that at our Twitter for that show at 16G Podcast. Yeah, highly recommend all the stuff happening over on One Indescribable Pod. It is a great time. Uh, I was doing a big kind of catch up listen to all the podcasts and the amount of times that I had to like stop myself from uh, laughing out loud as I was walking down the street on my way to work in the morning to something that you all were saying was uh, a, a significant amount of time. So yeah, it's a really great time over there. And I highly recommend everybody check it out, especially if you have listened to Adam and Todd on PSR podcast, they do kind of more of the same over there, but kind of even more so once they're given uh, on no limit, you know, they're editing their own podcast so they can be as long as they like. Yeah. Put that edit in quotes. Uh, it's, <laughs> something that any editing happens is a, uh, not necessarily realistic, but yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. It's a great time. Thank you so much. Um, Amanda, do you have stuff people should check out in the meantime? Yeah, I'm in a little bit of a lull between shows right now, um, but you can keep up with everything that I am doing on Twitter where I'm at Dr. Amanda R. That's Dr. Amanda R. Um, recently, I got to appear on the Rob Has a Podcast Network on Rob and Akiva Need a Podcast doing uh, Rob and Akiva PR Firm where we rehabilitate some struggling brands like maybe lumen could have used some rehabilitation we did talk about twitter um but check me out on uh, our on rhap on renap and just follow me on twitter that's the best way to keep up with anything else that i'm doing and how about you melissa 
Yeah, uh, so I'm talking Doctor Who over uh, on the main feed with Kevin Mahadeo and Adam H. So that has been a really great time. Uh, we have been kind of going through. We are very close to starting Series 5, which is where I started watching Doctor Who. So it's a really great time to jump in. You definitely don't have to kind of go back over the old stuff that we're doing, but you can just jump in with our beginning of uh, Series 5 start and you will uh, get to see the great Matt Smith as the doctor. It's a truly awesome time. So I highly recommend it. Um, otherwise you can catch me playing Dungeons and Dragons over on twitch.tv slash DM Philly for our Dragonfly D and D in space show. We've had some episodes recently with some like uh, some big kind of like character stuff. So that's been fun. And otherwise you'll catch us here next month talking severance episode six and the great Zach Cherry. It will be our tribute to Zach Cherry. And I'm so excited. It's going to be great. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.